talking about uh, trans narratives in graphic novels. We're talking about trans narratives and DC young adult comic comic experiences. What, what if you want to call it a graphic novel? You want to call it a comic book? I don't care. <laughs> it's all comics. Comics with an X. It's fine. I want to talk about that that Starfire's daughter graphic novel that they put out a while I want, ago. I want to get the title of it. You know, it's, like, it's called I Am Not Starfire. Yeah. Yes. And it's by, I am it, not it, and it's by Mariko Tamaki and drawn by uh, right. Yoshi Yoshitani. Okay. That's what we were talking now, about. Now you've read it, right? I have read it, yeah. Okay, so you're going to have to help me. because So I, I didn't read it. I've seen select pages that were previewed. I've, I've read reviews. I've read, I've read about it. Mm-hmm. Because I find it to be fascinating that it exists as a, as a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for a number of reasons. Because, like... Well, tell me what you know about for it. The, for l- the... l- l- let's talk about what you know about it first. Okay, well, my understanding is... So the premise of it is that Starfire, famous member of the Teen Titans, is, is now an adult... Right. Correct. I don't know exactly how old she is, but she has a a daughter now who's what, 12, 13? No, pro- probably probably 16, 17, I would guess. Okay, okay that's much I thought it was middle school or nope. I thought this was a middle school. Okay, so even older than I would expect it. So Starfire's got to be probably late 30s, 40s somewhere around there it's, at the it, earliest it, right? It's unclear. She looks like Starfire, but yeah, and she still dresses like right. Starfire. Right. Well, which she, is hilarious. Right. Let, 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 yeah, let's remind everyone that if you're not familiar with uh, Coriander, the the alien princess of Tamaran, uh, listen to she you. Is a, wow. she is, okay, <laughs> I'm a I'm a comic book nerd. I always have. I know. Been. I know. Starfire is an alien from a planet where people descended from from cats. Basically, she is she has more That's right. feline DNA than than ape DNA. And she flies around, and her hair turns into a streak of fire, and she shoots laser beams and fireballs, and it, is a really cool character. She's very beautiful. She Right. She's known for being incredibly attractive. And then the uh, Teen Titans Go sto- series made her very bubbly as well. Right. Well, okay, so this is part of what I want to talk about, but, but okay, let's talk about the premise of I Am Not Starfire first. So, I Am Not Starfire, which is not even the topic of today's episode, but this is what... Correct. This is what's happening. Today's going to be a weird episode, folks. Buckle in. <laughs> okay, so I I am not Starfire. Uh, Starfire has a a sixteen ish year old daughter. Uh, what's her name? Uh, I knew you were going to ask me that. Uh, it's not Starfire. Uh, hold on. <laughs> that would be Mandy. Her, could you imagine her, her name is she, her name is Mandy? <laughs> could you imagine if she had named her daughter Starfire? She, it, it, that it, would it, be so it, basically, Mandy is like Starfire's goth daughter. <laughs> Right. Well, okay. So this is this is one of the things that is weird. So Starfire's daughter, for some reason, looks nothing like Starfire. I that's a that's an artistic choice more than anything else. I think. Well, well, that's well. Fine. It, it's that, and plus, um, it's never revealed who the father is. So Starfire is a single mom in this, and and Mandy right. Mandy feels very very different from as her a mom. Like, as, like very alienated from as her a. Mom. Ch- as a true nerd, I would like to believe that the father is uh, Dick Grayson, but you know what? It doesn't matter. Could be anyone. Could be anyone. So, okay. So, Starfire's daughter, but it, presuming that she isn't adopted, presuming that this is a, we should, a we should give, we should give the book stabber uh, the book stabber 
note here and say we're probably going to ruin this story for you. So so turn turn this. <laughs> oh, off. I I I fully intend to ruin. Well, no, this but you story haven't you haven't everyone. read it. I mean, I I know spoilers, and I, I think I'm worried they're going to no, come I up know. and talking about it with you. So okay. Well, well, you you help spoil me because but I see I'm just a, I'm just mad at the premise of this book for multiple reasons. And, and here's I think this is what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. They could have made this book with probably any other character. I think Starfire was a bad choice for a lot of reasons. Why so? Um. Well, I'm going to get into it. Okay, so Starfire's daughter, 16 years old, Mandy, uh, pale skin as opposed to to Starfire's, like, stark orange alien skin tone, uh, black hair... She she's definitely on the uh, on the chubby side, which is not a bad thing by any means. In fact, I think body positivity is one of the points of the book, right? Well, it, it is and isn't. Like like Starfire is kind of on her about the way she looks, including if I remember correctly, her weight a little bit. Okay, so so right, this is this makes me upset. This is this is what I don't like about everything that I've understood about. This I, I I will say I will say that like there are pictures of Mandy as a kid in the book, and Mandy as a kid looks like Starfire. Okay, so like she got hair. older and then she stopped. All right, no, she true. started. She started dyeing that's, her hair, started that's... putting on black makeup, like gothed up, basically. Okay, is wearing is well, is wearing is, is wearing an early. Point, or... She's she, she's orangish, but she's she's like her hair is definitely orange, like Starfire's, uh, and, and I think one of the charming. Okay, like like in one of the charming uh, splash page kind of two page spreads. Uh, she's labeled the anti-Starfire. She's wearing a T-shirt that, instead of saying "skinny puppy," says "skinny poppy," which I liked. Um, is "skinny puppy" a thing? Sk- what is that? "Skinny puppy" is a band from the '80s. Sorry, Will, I'm 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 old. Okay, "skinny puppy" is probably still performing, no, but um, so that's fine. I just didn't know I've, that was like a comic book thing or not. So so, like like Mandy is not doing well in school. Mandy is not really acting out. I mean, some like LGBTQ elements to the story. Uh, yeah. Which are okay. So, right, and and that's interesting. So, right, Mandy is probably not straight. Is is attracted to girls in her school, right? I'm pretty sure I've saw that I, in one of the preview yes, images. Yes, absolutely. I, I think I, so. I'm looking at it okay. now. I'm looking at it right now. Mandy's in seventh grade, so I was wrong about high school. You 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 were, you were closer about the age. All right. So she. That's fine. The core premise of this book is that Starfire has a daughter. Starfire is a single mother. Has a daughter. And and this daughter feels like she cannot relate to her mother, and it sounds like Starfire is honestly not a great mother from from everything that's going on. It sounds like like as you've said that uh, she she gets on her daughter's case about her weight and is just having a hard time emotionally relating. They they are having a hard time emotionally relating to each other. Well, I would say I would say the book the book doesn't read like Starfire is a terrible mom. The book the book reads like Starfire is trying and Mandy is pushing her away. That's what I would, right. That's what I would so say. Right. So this is okay, because everything that I saw about this book screamed that like the people writing it. I I I guess was it what was her name Tamaki Mariko Tamaki yeah. Right, Mariko Tamaki is that one of the the two sisters that uh, uh, they're cousins, but yes, I, yes, the the ones who won cousins, the ones right. who won the Caldecott and was it the Prince too for this one summer and they wrote. Uh, right, they wrote right. Skinny, ha- and they've written a bunch of books together and apart. Right. So. Okay. So the cousins to my right. So this is one of those cousins. Um, but it seems to me that, like, the author doesn't understand the comic book character. Like, if you read George Perez Teen Titans, if you grew up watching 
the the cartoon show not teen titans go but just teen titans not that that's exactly the same as george prize comics or anything but hear me out like the character of starfire is like the most compassionate understanding like hippie beautiful person imaginable like she her she's all about being in tune with her emotions she's all about kindness towards others well and starfire is trying to be starfire is reaching out to mandy in the book but mandy keeps pushing her away and and i i I think there is evidence of the character here the one weird thing is like there's a little bit of a tiger momish thing where she wants to discuss mandy's education with her like like but she's trying she's like trying to help mandy figure out who she is it feels like more than not, as far as I remember it, and then and then of course Blackfire appears toward the end of the book. So, okay, I guess what I'm feeling is that like if you were looking for fictional characters to be a wonderful supportive mother, I don't think you could find like like Starfire is like literally like the best character for that for that role. Like I can't imagine anyone who would be a more wonderful, compassionate, caring person in 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 anyone's life like not to not to get fan fiction on it i mean all <laughs> you're, super, you're a little, all superhero comics to some level are fan fiction right? you're a little but, gaga you know. over, over starfire i'm kind of i'm kind of surprised but okay well like no i can understand like you could say that like batman is not a great father because he doesn't understand like how to actually take care of people and he pushes people to their limits and and batman is a character that has a lot of different iterations of it that you can kind of go back and forth on I can understand, you know, saying that um, I'm struggling to just name random examples because a lot of the ones I'm thinking of are too obscure. (laughs) I can understand why a lot of characters throughout comic books would make bad role models. You know, they have a lot of personal conflict that keeps them from, from their own fulfillment, let alone fulfillment of other people. But like... I feel like Starfire as a as a mother character would be like um who's the who's that actress from Halloween who's um, Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah, I feel like she would be like Jamie Lee Curtis. Like like Jamie Lee Curtis is like publicly one of the most like loving supportive mothers imaginable. Mm-hmm. Like and I feel like 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 if I were writing if I were writing I am not Starfire, the comic would be you know, okay, mom, I'm not like you. I'm goth now. I'm I'm dressing in black and I'm wearing black lipstick and and you know I'm never gonna be anything like you. And Starfire would be like, okay, honey, I love you. I I I <laughs> I bought you some new goth clothes for your wardrobe. You know, like. Well, I think your objection to this is that it, it, it's it's strangely. I'm not sure how we arrived here in the topic we were talking about earlier, but but like I I think it's strangely that like Starfire would not be a bad mom, so there'd be no conflict in this book. Like and and I, I think there's there is very little conflict as far as it goes, and it's all resolved in kind of the way you'd think you think it would be. Like Mandy doesn't have powers, then Mandy gets powers, and you know Blackfire comes oh, okay. to kill Mandy, and it's it, you know. But I think it's it's done it's done so much better than I had hoped. I mean, and I, okay. you know, I, I think the art is cool and Mariko Tamaki's narrative is great. And it's not it's not obnoxious in the way you're worried about. Having said that, like your reaction to books is often very different from mine. So I don't think this book would make you as happy as it made me. But I was really, really okay. pleasantly surprised by this book. But but also, OK, well, one of the things I was going to say is that so like 
most people who are reading comics and most people for whom this would be a target book for mm-hmm. probably probably have sadly have probably now grown up on Teton Titans Go, right. which in which they see Starfire as just one of five interchangeable comedic relief characters. Mm-hmm. Um but they're but the parents, which would probably be closer to my age, probably grew up who would maybe be buying this book for their kid, probably grew up on the original Teen Titans, mm-hmm. which and I feel like they would probably agree with me that like Start, so, okay, if you're telling me that, that Starfire is not a bad mother in this book, well, then that's I, fine. I, the geek in me has to point out that, the, that what you are calling the original Teen Titans, the Perez-Wolfman Teen Titans, is not the original Teen Titans, though. The original Teen Titans is no, but that's that. but, but yes. I, no, I know, but it's but it's the definitive Teen Titans. Well, it's the new, it's the, it's the new it's, Teen Titans, is what, what I think it was Right, called. but, well... Well, I'm sorry. So the the '60s one where it's uh, where it's uh, Speedy, Wonder Girl, Robin. And, I'm trying to remember who else was in it. I mean, I'm not saying those comics are unreadable or anything, but like it's it's like the original Jack Kirby X Men. Like nobody actually likes that original X Men. They like Chris <laughs> Claremont X Men. Right. No. Right, really. Right. No. 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 Like, I, I, like, I understand what you're saying. X Men as a team didn't start getting cool until it was Wolverine, Storm you know beast well i guess beast was on the original team but not until he was blue and furry like the original beast who's just a big guy is not interesting i was right? always huge into into ice and marvel girl but you know yeah no I, I understand what you're saying i understand what you're saying and I, i'm not trying to uh to out geeky here but but uh no we get to have a geek off oh my could, god uh... i would totally lose i you know my mind has no no details in it at all like chris hallbeck is the biggest star wars fan i know and um every time He'll mention some detail to me, and he's just aghast that I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so, I've been down that road. I lose. I hereby, I hereby give up in any any kind of geek off. Um, but but like this book, this book does not annoy me just because it's so much better than what I thought it was going to be. You know, it's still it's still written for the market, and I understand why it annoys you. But you know, it's 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 kind of not. For us in a certain way right but it's um well the, okay this is a larger problem with superhero characters as a whole that that i actually have a lot to say about mm-hmm. at a certain point in the last 10 15 years i think maybe the start of this was the um the dark knight the the christopher nolan movie with the uh the the joker as played by uh heath ledger i think that might have been the beginning of the end for this okay but there's this idea that you can just make any comic using or any or any it doesn't have to be a comic it can be an animated television show it can be a feature length movie it can be any piece of media that is about any of these characters and basically just throw away the the essence of the character and now so if i am a huge fan of booster gold you know (laughs) old fairly fairly obscure dc superhero booster gold who's a time traveler who goes back in time to be a superhero because he's basically a failure in the future but i want to make i want to make my booster gold movie in which uh booster gold you know it wasn't a failure in the future that actually he's a super genius all the time that has never done anything wrong then i've then i've Basically, I I would say that I I failed from the beginning. That that should have been a um. What is his name? Uh, the the Time Hunter, the Rip. What I can't remember that character's name now. He's on uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow and is just another obscure DC time traveler <laughs> character. Okay. Um, no, he's the time. I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna. Look, I want. I my guess is that his name is Rip Hunter, the Time Master. That's what I think his name is. 
I I think I got it in one. I think I I doubted myself because that's such a stupid name. I have to look it up too. But I think I was. His name is Rip Hunter. And he yes, the Time Master series. Okay, so I was correct. His, the 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 problem with me and my and my knowledge is that I second guess myself constantly because oh because God. this stuff is incredibly stupid. So anyway, oh my God, Booster Gold. <laughs> so so so, I, I, so what, I, what, what you're saying is you want you want things to adhere to canon a little bit more, at least the canon of what of what the character who the characters are. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, because otherwise okay. there's I, I see this exact same thing that happened a lot with Harley Quinn over the last 10 years is that somehow like like who who is this character? Well, I remember when this character was the Joker's girlfriend on Batman the animated series where she first originated and wore a basically a full body uh cat suit that and had no exposed skin except for her face, which even that was had a giant domino mask on it. And now, if you ask a 12-year-old who Harley Quinn is, they'll be like, well, it's Margot Robbie walking around in ripped uh, Daisy Dukes with a baseball bat, and, you know, her girlfriend is Poison Ivy, and it's like, okay, well, these... Like, like a lot of stuff happened in between there, right? And and how did that happen? Like, not... I, and, and you know, if, if you love Harley Quinn, if you think that's the best character ever, if you have a Harley Quinn tattoo... More power to you. I, I'm not looking to. It's it's fine. <laughs> I just think it's really bizarre how these are characters that are transgenerational. Like Superman is 80 years old at this point, but we keep having this problem. Like like my father's Superman is not the same Superman as the one I grew up with, but they're really close they're more similar than they are different right mm -hmm. and and the thing is is that like my father loved superman and he loved green lantern and he loved batman and and captain marvel who is i don't ever want to call shazam i want to call him captain marvel oh, the big red cheese i really you know? i really want to call him shazam <laughs> why because that's how i that's what i grew up calling him that's that that's what i called him when i was a kid so that's what he is to me i i, I struggle to call him captain marvel Although for some reason, although for, comics, for some reason, I call him I call Captain Marvel Junior, Captain Marvel Junior, not Shazam Junior. Go go figure. See, see, I but you but you were reading comics. The comic was called Shazam, but the character in it was called Captain Marvel. You know that, like that's... I do totally know that. Yeah, yeah, but but on TV he was called Shazam, which is where I, which is probably why. Uh, was that a black and white serial Shazam? Well, there was a black and white serial, but there was a thing in the late seventies, early eighties, where Billy Batson drives around in a Winnebago with this old man and uh, jumps out of the Winnebago and yells Shazam and becomes somebody else. And, was this, and Billy Batson was this is, live action? Yes, it was live action. It was on uh, CBS Sunday mornings with uh, ISIS, where the woman would say, "I am oh, ISIS." Oh, right. And she would the spin. Yeah. The ISIS Shazam hour, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, okay, I've heard of this, yeah. I but uh, Well, I've heard of this, but I never knew who ISIS was. Was this a character invented for this program? Uh, I think so, but... I mean, I mean, ISIS, isn't ISIS like some kind of Egyptian callback? Like, it, is it an Egyptian deity? Or yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, she is an Egyptian deity. Empress uh, or something. As, 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 a good, as a good Sandman reader, all I, all I know is Bast anymore. So <laughs> that, that's where I draw the line you just yeah just a big booby cat mama all right <laughs> <laughs> just uh we get it gene you're a furry okay. I, I, i'm not a furry but I, you know a fan an occasional fan i mean i just i just reread black sad so what can i say 
Black Sa- Black Sad is great. If anyone out there wants a, a really cool European noir comic that happens to be furry, it's so I good. Recommend Black Sad. It's so good. But but uh, yeah, I. I <laughs> anyway, so I don't want to talk okay, about Black Sad we right got now. on this. Well, all right, we got on this topic originally talking about trans narratives in graphic novels because this is sort of a hot commodity in the YA graphic novel space right it's now. It's it's not just YA, right. it's it's also adult graphic novels. There there's so much there's so much uh queer content that's that's coming out in the graphic novel space and uh right. I was I was very curious about your reaction to it uh in particular the right. trans narratives and 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 my question to you was kind of I mean, like, it's a little amorphous, but it was more like, it was more the level of annoyance um, the that these, these create for you. It, it was about, um, what would I say? Like, like, like kind of the weird ass, the stupid version of Reader's Advisory, which is just giving these trans narratives to trans people, right? Um, right. So, or, 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 yeah. Or, so, for, or, or, or also asking, like, like, are these just for people like me who who aren't trans and who 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 maybe maybe need this narrative repeated over and over to us? You, you know what I mean? Like, 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 who are these for? Is what I was asking you, and like, and the level of annoyance. So, so go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Right. No, it's it's a lot of good questions. So, for the audience's benefit, if you couldn't tell by the sound of my voice, I am trans. Uh, have been this whole time. Uh, it's just not something. It's not something that I bring up a lot. Yeah. Um, because why would I? No. Well, well, and you and you can cut that out for this reason if you don't want this out there. No, like, no. I, I think, I, I think no, it's, it's fine. I think it's entirely I, beside the point of of everything I know. No. About it, you, well, but. no. I think I think it's important to I think it's important to talk about that. So, um, I don't I don't read these trans comics. I I read comics by trans creators. You know, like um, I love like Sophie Campbell's comics, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think everything that she touches is gold. Oh, Glory is so good. Um, Glory is just one of my favorite books. Did you like Glory? You know, there's, uh, I I read it in grad school. I thought it was. I thought it. Was, I, I liked the art. I didn't think it was like amazing. Oh, I thought it was fine. That was so fun. I I read it out loud to uh, my daughter when it came out when she was like ten or eleven. So it, it's something she really really treasures too. It's just as a memory of but dad daughter time. So, so so sure. Well, that's that's nice. I like that. Um, on the so in terms of um. I was talking about like the works of Melanie Gilman and Andy Stevenson. I I'm not into these. I I don't I don't like to read them and I don't read them. I don't I don't I'm not interested in narratives that are just a, I don't I I'm not interested in coming out stories. I'm not interested in stories about self-discovery, about gender exploration. It for the same reason that like I didn't enjoy reading Roll of Thunder, Hear Me Cry, or Ellie Wiesel in school that, like, <laughs> I don't like homework. I don't I don't like these stories that, you know, it's not that the thing that they're about is, is the thing they're about is important, mm-hmm. and it's historically important, and it's important that we all understand and arrive at the same pa- pa- page on it. But, like, I want escapism when I read. I want something that... Um, that that challenges me in a in a in a way other than like just making me feel bad about the universe and and man's cruelty to man <laughs> those are important topics no really i mean yeah, those yeah, are yeah. important topics and and i'm you know i'm not a i'm not a holocaust denier i'm not i i am the most i'm one of the most left people you'll ever meet i 
I but I just am not interested in these as like narrative. Like I I'm I'm selfish in that way that like I want to read for for leisure. I I want to be entertained. I really do. Well, do you? Do, do, I mean, I mean, you you said before to me uh, before we started recording. I think that that you were hoping to have like the not exactly like you were. What did what did you say? The trans Spider Man, the trans version of Miss Marvel, right. something that just brings it very mainstream right. the, and it's beside the point, kind of. Right. This this is my goal is because it, I do want trans representation in media. I really do. What I want trans representation to look like for that that appeals to me and to my friends and and you know everyone really is i as i want the story that the character is trans and that is a detail about them that the whole story doesn't revolve around Mm -hmm. i i don't i don't really want it to be like a coming out story and i don't really want it to have a lot of tears and heartache in it like unless for other reasons but like yeah like what uh what kamala khan miss marvel is to to muslims in america i i want that for trans i want a a trans teenage superhero that 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 doesn't really matter in their story that 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 is a detail right that is not their entire identity and and because they keep trying to do this to some extent there have been attempts at trans superheroes it doesn't have to be a superhero mm-hmm. it just has to you know it could be an indiana jones character it could be doctor who mm-hmm. uh, they you know they kind of did that but in a way that i don't really i i didn't watch that doctor who i don't watch a lot of doctor who that's beside the point um it, it, it could be anything yeah it really could well and, it and, could uh it, well and it, it sounds like it sounds like um that's what you want for you or is that what you want to exist in the world besides for you like like is that what you want to read well i do want it for myself yeah it would it would make me feel better it would make me sleep easier at night if that existed but also it would be a great thing that i can point to Mm -hmm. what i want it to be is i want it to be something that's so good that everyone gets on board with it unanimously right like i want it to be undeniably good so cool that you can't you can't look away from it yeah yeah that's what I'm after. Okay. Like, like you just enjoy it. Like not necessarily because of that, but you just enjoy it. Right. It, I, and, and, you know, this exists to some extent. Um, there have been a couple of video games that have some trans narratives in them that, that are really great. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and, and they're, they can be done very subtly or it, I wouldn't say that this hasn't existed at all. So up to this point i think we can do more and i think we can do better yeah um but but yeah like every time we get one of these situations where it's like marvel releases this uh comic with the non-binary characters safe space and snowflake <laughs> uh, which is real which no that's a real thing they did no 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 th- th- those aren't real names are they no it's a it's an entirely real thing it was a reboot of um oh my God. i want to say the new mutants i could be wrong on that it, but it was it was a new no what was the um it wasn't the new mutants what was it this is another stupid i it doesn't matter to anyone listening right now it's just a, it's just my comic book pride <laughs> safe well, I, I know i know charlie jane anders is writing uh, a trans character in a few issues of the new mutants coming out in the fall which i'm excited about i'm excited to see that yeah she writes comics now yeah 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 i mean uh, i mean i'm excited I, I like her books you know i think she's a great writer um, I know you didn't like all the birds in the sky as much as I did, but uh, it's so it's so good. So, 
All right, all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was the New Warriors. Okay, I was close. It was New Warriors. Do, do, do you think? Do you think that um, the narratives that are kind of hitting the market now, both clumsy and not, are like an intermediate step toward what you want? I mean, I mean, can we hope that, or is that? I mean, I mean, are they? I I think I think they're good to be on the market, but I I mean, like I still. Like I told you at the beginning when we started talking before we were recording that I'm struggling to um, review a few books that I've just read. Um, and right. and Do- I, I'm trying to sift the good ones from the bad ones and I only talk about the books that I liked and not the books that I didn't like. Um, and But I was kind of asking I was kind of asking you about this stuff just because I feel like it, it, it's like when I'm reading kids' books in a way too. It's like, well, you know these books aren't written by kids necessarily for kids, right? They're written by adults based on what they think ki- right. kids are going to want. And I, some of these narratives are, I, they have some of that flavor, but I'm not quite sure I understand who they're targeting. But now I feel like they're targeting me. I think that they are a necessary part of this whole process. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot like how you can't co- talk about comics in academia without talking about mouse without talking about persepolis that like and that which is not to say those are bad comics they're they're very good comics but they have become they they unfortunately inherited the burden of being homework (laughs) for no really like but both for comics as a whole and for identity politics basically yeah yeah (laughs) Like, like, very few people actually talk about, like, is Persepolis a, a fun, good book? And, it, like, is, is, was Persepolis a good read? Which I think it is. It's a great read. Yeah. But it, it, and, and everyone wants to talk instead about, like, what does this mean for Iranian cartoonists? What does this mean for, <laughs> the, you know, what does this mean for educating Westerners as to what is happening, you know, yeah. 30 years ago? Um, so, yeah, I think that. I, I don't think that the existence of these trans narratives in comics, I don't think it's a bad thing by any means. I think it's a thing that is, it is going to become kind of burdensome to Pete because like, I don't think a lot of people are going to read, are reading these for fun. And, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people don't read for fun to begin with. I'm sure a lot of people are out there because they, they want some kind of true to life story that resonates with them and they're going to, you know, drink a glass of Chardonnay and cry about it. That's, <laughs> that's cool. I don't, I don't mean to say that disparagingly. Yeah, I mean yeah, to yeah. say that as like, that's a, that is a valid way to, to spend your time. I'm casting no shade on that person. <laughs> I, I, as I was telling you before we started recording, so I got mad at a, a at, I have a, an acquaintance who is non-binary, knows that I make comics. And one day they sent me a thing about um, N.D. Stevenson's autobiography, uh, which I believe you correctly titled uh, Fire in the Heart or something. Is that what it is? The, uh, fire Never Goes Out, yeah. The, Great Yeah, book. yeah, The Fire Never Goes Out. I think that... It, really enjoyed it. Sure. I, I admit it. Mm-hmm. I haven't read it. I've read, like, the first 15 pages. And I this is a thing. I really don't like N.D. Stevenson's work. Oh, I never that liked hurts. Nimona. That hurts Willow. Um, I don't, I don't hate, I don't hate Nimona. I just don't like, mm-hmm. it. like, that's, this is the thing. There's sure, a lot of stuff sure, I just don't sure. care for. It's fine. 
if you, if you if you like it, that's great. I I'm glad that it's getting a full length oh, feature he? movie. I thought the Shira show was interesting. I think. Uh, so this this non-binary friend of mine sent me a, a link to this book and be like, I just finished reading this and it reminds me so much of you and your comics. <laughs> like this is like like this is a kindred spirit to you. This is like you and wow. I. And I got mad, um, and I think justifiably so, because I think if you've read any of my comics, my actual comics... At, what's the URL again? What's the URL again? www.hauntedskull.com. Okay. Uh, or or www.barbariangirl.com, or if you uh, can find a, a link to Heartless or any of my random stuff that I've done through print over... You, you know, I've done a few things in my time, yeah, I, I, uh, none of which were successful. I have to say, as someone who knows you, like equating your work with Noelle Stevenson's work in any, any way is so strange. Just so strange. Um, right. It, it fundamental and and I think this is the this is the problem is that now I, I, people out there in the audience can say, well, like, well, that was one person who had a, a strange opinion that didn't add up that that was largely unfounded. But I think it's symptomatic of a, a thing that happens where you can lump all of these trans storytellers together mm-hmm. under under the umbrella of being trans and be like, look, everything that these people do is trans. And if you've read any of my comics, I think that you know that my comics aren't about being trans any more than they're about, right. you know, being white or being vegetarian or <laughs> you know or or liking Cronenberg movies well that one's debatable or about or about sour candy um, or anything yeah that <laughs> i think that being trans is one of the least interesting things about myself and that it's kind of insulting to summarize any summarize me as a person or my artwork in that way um i think it's insulting to nd stevenson that like Granted, their work is more about gender than mine is, and that's and that's cool for them. That was a decision that they right. made to do. Um, but at the same time, like, don't just 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 don't do that. Just uh, find other things to if if you have to compare me to to Andy Stevenson, like do a do a better job of it. <laughs> I, I don't I or or just don't. It's fine. I don't there's want a, it. I don't want a that. There's a similarity in the quality of your line. Have you, you're inking. I, I disagree. No, I disagree too. Sorry, I'm just trying to think of anything that wouldn't that wouldn't get that reaction from you. Um, that would that that would be I, you know I once got uh, the the comics uh, critic Rob Rob Lowe Clow. What is his name? It's 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 C L O U G H. I think I Rob. I don't know how you pronounce that. Um, he's a he's a comics critic who's got a, a popular blog in some circles uh when i was still at ccs uh he described something that i had made as um being very much in the style of kate beaton huh. and i love kate Be- i love kate beaton's work this is very wrong <laughs> this is very untrue I, I did what what he what he actually meant when he said that was that i was drawing a period piece in which people wore his, you know, outfits appropriate to, uh, like, the late 1700s, and that sometimes I, I drew a mouth in kind of a, uh, in, in kind of a, in a kind of a half circle. <laughs> those are the, those are the two details that, that, uh, right. we saw. Right, 
if you if you actually if you actually read Heartless, it's uh, I think you'll find that it bears no other similarities to anything that Kate Beaton has done. I think Kate Beaton's great. I think Kate Beaton is better than me in most ways, um, but it's it's really a critics and and people in general are, are they're always everyone is always trying to draw comparisons that are not necessarily apt. Hmm. It's I, I, I'm guilty of it all the time. I, I realize I'm going to be guilty of it later this episode when we talk about the actual goddamn novellas that we're here to talk and about. I'm sure I'm, I'm guilty of that all the time, too. But but I mean, I guess the, the best. Well, I mean, I think what's weird is, you know, you're coming up against a weird problem libraries have and librarians have like the what is this book about problem. Right. And like, yes, like, like it, it's it's so strange. Um, and like libraries. This is a thing. <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Well, this is a thing that infuriates me when I am trying to get uh, read-alikes at at my library. Mm-hmm. Is that I've done this thing multiple times now. You know, my local library has said, "Like, give us three books you love, and we're going to find you three books that are sim that that you're also going to love based on what you suggested." And and which I I want that. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of uh, the music service Pandora. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of the idea of finding things that are just one degree off of the thing that I already love. I want that in my life. So I go to my library and be like, I, I need some books that are like Neil Gaiman, please. And they're like, all right, um, this is a romance from an author that you've never heard of that has a fantastical element, but it's mostly just smut. It's mostly just <laughs> like a pornographic book. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's do not. They, do they not? That's do they, not. Do they not ask you what you like about Neil Gaiman books? Uh, I don't know. It's been a while. Um, I clearly, well, even if they did, I don't know that they would do a better job. I, we've had this conversation when this happened, right. not on the podcast, but like, you know, it, it boils down to what has that particular librarian actually read, or what have they had recommended to them? What do they have available to them in the library at that moment for checkout? Well, m- maybe, maybe, uh, but it also really depends on them trying to figure out what it is you you like about those books. Like, um, y- you can't you can't really do reader's advisory without having. I mean, you, the, it's almost blind, right? It's almost blind, like. I, like you're going to mention three books, I'm going to figure out what the common criteria is in my mind, and then I'm going to suggest a book based on that common criteria. It's, right. It's such a it's such well, a crapshoot. <laughs> right. It is. Well, and and you and I have been through this. Like this whole podcast is basically about how hard it is to actually do readers' advisory. Oh no, like, this podcast is about how hard it is to do readers' advisory for you. <laughs> Which I have at this point kind of given up on. Now I'm just, I'm it's, just like gonna, gonna throw, I'm just throwing kindling on the fire right now. <laughs> it isn't just me. It isn't just me though. Like everyone I know has struggles with this as well. Like my my mother struggles with this. Now my mother is not as picky a reader as I. She she'll read a lot of things. She'll she'll read books that she actively knows to be not good, because she just enjoys the act of reading so mm. much. But. Uh, the times that she has gone gone through readers' advisory with with you involved, uh, you know the the results she was extremely unhappy with. Like. <laughs> <sighs> what is it, it is a it is a crapshoot. I have to say, <laughs> she read she read the James Salas book though, right? Didn't she? Didn't she like that one? Okay. She, 
she did like that one. However, that was that was your gift to me that you you thought I would like. Well, well, I, I no, th- that is honestly a book I give to a lot of people because I love that book so much. Uh-huh. Th- that that book is an attempt to say, hey, here's something I love. Maybe you'll like it too. That that that's all that is. That is not really an active readers advisory. Sure. That is just that is just me trying to share. Oh. I love this. Here, maybe you'll like it too. And, right. and, and the fact that you didn't like right. it is fine with me, you know. And the fact that your mom liked it a little more, great. <laughs> but like, I just want I want uh, those books that I love out there more in the world. I want more people to to read them and have a reaction to them. And and like, you know, it's interesting. It, it's not the end or beginning of anything, but it's. Uh, well, I guess it would be the beginning. If you like that book too, I would be like, oh, let's talk about it more. But if you don't, what, what am I going to say, right? So I don't know. I don't, I, that's neither here nor there. Where, where am I going with any of this, Willow? <laughs> well, I think it's time that we uh, should we turn turn this back to to Bookstabber. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Bookstabber. <laughs> yeah. How far are we in this now? <sighs> oh, we're in. This is it. great. Well, this is fine. Ever. This is perfect. This is fine because I. I'm Willow Payne. I am the. <laughs> I am the co-writer and artist behind Library Comic and the uh, the creator of The Haunted Skull. And I am Gene Ambom, and, and I write Library Comic uh, and uh, talk to Willow about it <laughs> and other things and books. Yeah, we do so many things. Sometimes we make motorcycle jacket patches. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes we make strange decks of cards that are related to books and libraries. Strange decks of cards, which we're in the middle of doing again. Very exciting. Very excited about this game. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but today we are going to talk about two novellas, because I like novellas a lot. And um, I found one that I thought I was going to like. And uh, I thought maybe we would pick another one that was on my re- to-read list. Uh, and you readily agreed, which is which is nice. Thank you so much for agreeing to read these books. Um Oh yeah, and uh, I guess we should probably discuss them one by one. Let's get the warning is that we're probably going to spoil these books and talking about them a little bit. Um, I, it's impossible not to spoil them because there's so little meat on that chicken. The, uh, they, they are slight books. They are slight books. Um, can we start with the the annual migration of clouds? Yeah, that's the one I definitely have more to say. Oh really? About. Okay. Well, so, so can I can, can I yeah. give the pitch for this? I think it's very hard to give a pitch for for a novella. Um, the Annual Migration of Clouds is a novella. Uh, it's post-apocalyptic. Uh, it feels like it takes place in Canada. I would say the author's Canadian. Maybe that's me reading something into it. Uh, the Earth is very depopulated. Uh, industrial civilization is basically gone. Um, the people in the story, uh, the it, there's a teenager. Uh, her name is Reed. Uh, her friend is Heinrich. Uh, they live, along with a bunch of other people, kind of a society, in an old university building uh, near a river. Uh, they're trying to eke out a living. Uh, Reed and her mom actually uh, kind of weave plastic yarn, it's, it feels like, as, as something that the community can use. They're kind of setting up a money system, a trading system again. Uh, but, but the action is all around Reed, who is a very smart uh, young woman and is also, I have to say, uh, infected with a parasite that is passed down to her from her mom, um, which which comes in a little bit more later. The parasite can affect her behavior. It's a it's a fungal thing. There's no way to get rid of it. Uh, it will eventually probably kill her. But Reed, uh, at the beginning of the book, receives a letter, which is incredibly uncommon on paper. Also incredibly uncommon. Something some amazing paper from something called House University, which she believes is in a dome 
where part of civilization retreated, leaving everyone else like Reed and her family and the survivors to fend for themselves. Uh, and so Reed's key decision is whether or not to accept this invitation. Uh, if she's going to, she has to leave her mom behind. Her mother cannot exactly fend for herself, um, needs Reed's help. Uh, the entire community becomes very excited for Reed to go off to this this magical place that may or may not exist, that may or may not be what she wants to be. And that's basically what the book is about. Now, when after we finished this, you were you were so angry. <laughs> I, I want to say that the yeah. author, uh, Premi Muhammad, uh, won a Nebula Award for writing a different uh, novella in 2021. Um and has written several uh, novels as well, and has has a bunch of short fiction out. Okay, go ahead, Willow. What 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 bugs right. you about this book? I I will say, I will say I like the way it unfolded. I like the characters. I like that it all kind of leads towards uh, this crazy boar hunt, which I didn't see coming. Um, and then Premi's decision, or not Premi, uh, Reed's decision to uh, basically go off to to make her way in the world. Yeah, I uh, I hated this. Um, <laughs> Why did you hate it? I because because it is it, fans of the podcast. If any of you exist at all, uh, you've heard this. You've heard this one before. Nothing happens in this in this book. It's extremely boring. The characters are unlikable. I I, I basically feel like this is. Um, I'm I'm not gonna say this is a universal thing. Obviously, people like this book. This is this is going to become the the Willow Pain scale of. <laughs> of yeah, I, this is this is my own personal rubric that just like I want, I want you to have your version of the Bechdel test. I want you to have like the pain test. What is the pain test? I, I yeah no, that's what I, I'm gonna have to develop. That I don't see, I I don't see anything worthwhile having happened in this in this novella. I don't see the main character. It, it, this is another generational trauma story, which I just really don't like. That the 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 real crux of the story is that the mom and the daughter are at odds because the mom wants the daughter to stay and the daughter wants to go and everything else is arbitrary the fact that this takes place in sort of a post-apocalyptic canada is really arbitrary the point the part that they have uh, a parasitic fungal infection is beside the point oh i disagree i disagree with that i don't see that so my 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 big reaction that i got after reading this was this seems like someone was a big fan of the video game The Last of Us because it's basically the premise of The Last of Us except without the meaningful conflict or the body horror elements that I think make that story really interesting. Well, there's some body horror in it though because the fungal infection when it goes crazy in your body, if it does, it doesn't necessarily always go crazy. It kind of, just kind of becomes this big ropey vegetative thing inside your body that can knock out your teeth and disfigure you and and make you die screaming right media savvy people listening us probably already know this but if if you don't uh this concept is clearly inspired by a real world fungal a fungus called cordyceps which uh affects ants and i think other mm-hmm. insects it it is a it is a fungus that literally c- can mind control it, it controls the motor functions of an ant that it infects and it grows out of an ant's head and it makes an ant climb up a climb up a stalk of uh, a, a of plant of a, a blade of leaf 
you, what am I saying? Words are hard. <laughs> My mind is eroded from COVID. Maybe I have the fungal infection from the future. It doesn't matter. You're doing okay. The, the, an ant climbs up to a surface where it uh, makes itself vulnerable so that a bird will eat it because that's where the fungus wants to end up is inside of a bird. Right. I'm pretty sure I have that correctly. It's I think a, that's it's right. A really, it's a really interesting thing that happens in our real world that has inspired a new class of zombie fiction um, I think made most famous by the video game The Last of Us, which I I haven't played it. You've actually have played, I have played it, right? It, yeah, but you don't you don't the zombies don't present themselves to be eaten. I have to say. Right, but in that video game, you have cordyceps zombies uh, that that are quite horrifying to look at, and they're creepy, and and it's yep. they it is a zombie survival story. They don't have to it be is. fungal infected zombies, but it but it adds a neat element to the story that it's what uh, what we might call a chimera it's a, it's a combination of the old and the new it is the familiar and the unfamiliar this is the thing that keeps uh driving us forward as artists and creators into the future is we we are inspired by things of the past and and inspired by to to add new elements to it that uh, keeps it refreshing keeps it interesting for for jaded people like myself <laughs> so so what is the chimera in the annual migration of clouds? Well, you take something that inspired you, like The Last of Us, in which the, the world has effectively ended and people are living in tiny pockets of what can barely be called civilization, that is really just survivalists, and, and uh, they're, they're infected by a horrible fungus that does exert some limited amount of mind control. That is a plot element here although it doesn't do anything. And what is the new that you're bringing to it? Well, you're bringing a new sense of uh, generational conflict and ennui that uh, that the mother and father just, uh, I'm sorry, the mother and daughter just argue a lot and uh, they don't really resolve things except that they, by the end of the book, you're sure that they both love each other very much even though they disagree, which is just the, it is the leitmotif of this decade. It is the, it is the thing that, all media is now becoming and it's really dull to me it's just really uninteresting i, I, I will say the i will say the confusion that, that i had if any was like the extent to which at the end the the fungal infection in the mother and in the daughter plays into the plays into the what happens right near the end when the mother tries to kill herself like it, it's like it's like the mother is it, you're supposed to believe i think that the mother's um the fungus in the mother doesn't want the daughter to go and does kind of whatever it can to try to get her to stay. And that the daughter, the daughter's fungus like acts to help her like save her mother in a certain sense, because that's what's best for her. They're doing a kind of, it, 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 it's weird because it's super undefined and, and, and strange. And, and um, like the fungus inside you is supposed to be doing some weird cost benefit analysis to your survival. And, and it's like, it's like the girl, the girl is making, peace with this thing that doesn't she doesn't really understand but that is part of her and that's kind of it's kind of nice it, I, I like i like how amorphous it is but it's but i understand why it's frustrating well i don't understand what i don't get is that so the idea that the that it is influencing your ideas is a cool idea i'll, I'll grant it that i i like the idea that there is an alien presence inside you that is influencing your ideas you know it's very venom from spider-man mm -hmm. That, that that's a neat idea that can be done well. I don't see that we are given the, the examples you just listed like every time that, that the character in the in her internal monologue goes, 
is, am I really thinking this or is the fungus thinking this for me? It doesn't matter. It's never a thing that really matters. And we never, I, I don't think we ever come to a consequence of it. Like, you know, if this were a, if this were a horror story, which part of me wishes it was, and mm-hmm. I, that's kind of unfair, but at, at least it would be interesting. Like in a horror story, it would be a situation where we know the fungus is taken over because now she's cannibalizing her friend or she's doing something that she wouldn't she wouldn't do in a in any rational mind and and then we know oh no now it has happened mm-hmm. now the fungus is in control that she's lost her humanity that is a that is a part of of horror storytelling mm-hmm. uh here it like i guess what i I don't see it affecting anything that happens. Like everything that happens in this novel, I think could have and would have happened exactly the same without, you know, when she argues with her mother, that her mother believes that she's not under the control of the fungus. And, and her mother is arguing that, that she is not under control of the fungus. And the daughter says, no, but you are, and you know it. And the mother just gets mad about that. Like, well, okay. In this case, it could be a metaphor for dementia, right? Depending on the age of the mother. Um, but it could just be a novel where a mother has dementia. Like it's not, it's not changed enough from that idea to matter. It's not significant in any way that the, that the, that there is a fungus. I I, I think I I disagree with that. And I, I disagree with it because like the novella to me is it's a, it's a nice space where I don't necessarily expect resolution to everything that's brought up. Um, it's not, I always think short stories are underwritten to a large extent, especially, especially in the science fiction and fantasy space, because there isn't enough room to explore an idea. You kind of get one take on it and it it can be a little maddening. And so, so I, I like this length because it, it gives, it gives the author room to move around a little bit in the world. It like, like we see the post-apocalyptic life and it is pretty boring and that makes some sense to me they have figured out what to do and it is about weaving plastic like basically like like separating plastic shredding plastic making things figuring out how to make plastic into something they can turn into something useful again no 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 no. i feel i feel like robert mckean that like if you wrote a boring apocalypse then why did you write an apocalypse no 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 what 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 makes me crazy about like the walking dead is if, if everybody is always constantly under survival threat like even if you're just picking off one or two people at a time, everybody's going to be dead pretty quick. It, it, it's it's ridiculous. It, yeah, it, it, it's ridiculous to see long term. I do not mind short term survival stories where everybody dies because that seems very realistic given given the apocalypse that's happening. Right, like, like that's that's th- those stories seem okay to me. You can have moments of humanity in them. That's okay. But if you're going to have survivors, and these survivors are what like uh, two generations after the apocalypse, apparently. Um. You have to you have to have some way for them to 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 be that isn't they're not under threat from anything. I watched the first episode of uh, the Wheel of Time last night, and and uh, Silver, my wife and I were having a conversation about like how prosperous this little tiny village in the middle of nowhere seemed, <laughs> and like I was like, how could it possibly be that prosperous? At one point, they're just sending all these candles, these little boats down the river, and I thought, man, the cost of that to a really primitive society would be so immense. The, the cost of a candle is so immense. You know, the co- much less these little boats that seem to be made of like leather and parchment. I was like, this is, this is absolutely crazy. Um, and then there's suddenly they're attacked by this horde of monsters. And I thought if there's a horde of monsters out there, 
what, I don't understand what's going on. Maybe maybe the TV show will make this clear to me. I haven't read the books. Maybe it's a very poor adaptation of the books. I don't know. But it seemed so bad, right? Um, in, in such a weird way. And this book doesn't. This book doesn't hit me like that, which is kind of which is kind of what I need from a book like this. I mean, I understand, I understand sure. your objection that it's, that it's boring. I understand this isn't a book for everybody. Okay. Not a lot happens in it. There is a, there is a big boar hunt. Uh, that is kind of a moment of survival of like, kind of, kind of making the, of pitting the idea of like, well, I, I can get a big gain from doing this very dangerous thing once in a great while. And uh, Reed and Heinrich end up going on the boar hunt, even though they're not very qualified, because they are the darlings of the moment, because Reed has been accepted to this college, and everybody knows she's trying to kind of put away some some meat so that her mom can use that to barter and to eat and to get things she needs. And I, it just it just all really worked for me, you know. It, but that's also there's kind of a double standard there, where killing one boar, unless this is some kind of mutated boar, like. That will provide some amount of meat and probably some fur for the community, mm-hmm. but it, divided amongst enough people, like it, it's it's not going to it, it's not going to be that great a gain. Like people who hunt have to hunt pretty regularly for sustenance. Well, but it sounds like it sounds like the re- the colony on its own has figured out a way to 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 uh, keep going without without this, and like this is one of those things that isn't shared necessarily throughout the community. It's it, it's, it's also, shared by the people okay. who take the risk, which I liked. I was like, I was but al- like, but also, I just want to point out though that that what I don't like about the the if if the big the big thing to do in your novel is a boar in a novel in which uh, climate change has destroyed the government as we know it and there's just no infrastructure and and we've retreated into these tiny little pocket communities. Like okay, so that that's a huge thing that it's happened. Okay. Uh, there's a fungus that is infecting what at least thirty percent of the population, a pretty high percent it seems like, from what I could tell. It, it was, it, it's it's endemic, so I don't know I don't know how, what percentage, but yeah, some people have it. It's clear. So and and the and the biggest most interesting that happens in your in your book is that some people hunt a wild boar, a thing that happens in our real world literally every day and is a non-issue. In in the United States of America, is boar hunting is such a such a trivial thing that I mean, remember when everyone laughed at the guy who said that thirty to fifty wild hogs ran through his yard every day, like hmm. which you know, even though when you phrase it that way, it sounds silly, but it's not exactly untrue that like like people, it's like one of the number one sports in America is for for a certain kind of person not that i'm i'm not in favor well of it, I, I understand it's very i understand it's very dangerous um i i understand it's it's difficult to find them uh and um they're, they're best hunted from helicopters which <laughs> obviously these people don't have right. but i mean and i and i know a boar killed uh robert baratheon right i know okay so i mean i was i was thinking <laughs> i was i was picturing something straight out of spirited away when i was reading this book there's something there's something a little right. a little futuristic and mutated about this thing but but it sounds like your chief objection think, to this is is it was it was boring is that is that your objection it's extre- yeah it's extremely dull it's a it is a novel that i i don't i don't enjoy these characters yeah. i don't think that i don't I, did you learn a lesson at the end of this book? i didn't did i didn't you, need to learn a lesson i didn't need to learn a lesson i thought it was satisfying that the character couldn't come to a conclusion and then came to a conclusion the character had changed enough for me you know 
what conclusion did she come to? She she wanted to go away and she went away. Well, like, she was excited about being accepted and then didn't feel like she could go away and then figured out that she had to go away, right? I mean, that that, that, that is a decision. There, there was, I mean, it, it meets the requirements for me because the, the character under her own power did things to try to try to make it okay for her to leave and then even though it clearly wasn't okay like like leaves anyway you know because she's she's changed and and uh there isn't really an okay you know she's decided to choose hope i mean like i i thought it was good i really enjoyed it i well i'm glad you enjoyed it i uh, (laughs) i wish i wish that i could i wish that i could enjoy it i wish that i could have read this book and and liked any part of it well let's let's go to the next book which is uh the empress of salt and fortune by nevo who whose most recent book is doing quite well which is called uh siren queens that that's a novel this is a novella uh this is the first of a series of novellas uh i believe that are in the same world maybe involve the same characters um uh Let's see. What's the what's the what's the book talk for this one? Um, a cleric and her friend, a talking bird, <laughs> go to a lake where the empress who has just died spent a lot of time in exile. Um, the no one was allowed to go near the lake for a long time. It was kind of written off the maps, and they go there and they discover their. Uh, they are not the first people there. There was someone there called Rabbit, and she used to work there, and she used to work for the Empress, the Empress of Salt and Fortune, who just died, who was from the North. Uh, and basically Rabbit, l- l- like they investigate the place, and Rabbit, over time, tells the story of her time with the Empress and some truths about the Empress. Is that fair? Oh, it's very Okay, fair. okay, yeah. Th- that's my book talk for this. I, I don't know how to make it more exciting I, than I that. have some... Um, it, well, you, I don't think you can. I, 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 I want to say this book uh... won several awards, including the Hugo Award for Best Novella in 2021. Um, it won something called the Stabby, which is, I don't know what the Stabby is, but I'm, I'm excited to find out about the Stabby Award and something called the Crawford Award. It was on a I bunch of like best that's, book that's lists. That's an award we should have invented. It was, it was on a bunch of best books lists. And, and I, I think in part it's on those lists just because of the language and the way it unfolds um, and, and the setting. Uh which is which is kind of magical. Uh, there are some ghosts, and there's like a very strange glow in the in the lake. the 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 the, the place where they go visit is uh, called Lake Scarlet, a big red glow. Uh, Rabbit has big big teeth. Um, the hopo the the bird is something called a nixon nexon. Its name is almost brilliant, and basically the birds of that type are they they talk to each other and to people and they pass memories on generationally and so whatever is said here will be remembered um and it's kind of a sad story of the empress from the north and kind of a tale of deceit and kind of a it feels almost like a heist novel in a way but novella in a way but not told in the most exciting fashion um really unfolds very slowly which I think is going to be what bothered you. Again, you're going to say this, this book was boring, right? It is, yeah, it, it was boring. I was bored. I didn't like the characters. I didn't think that we. Uh, I don't. I don't think anything. I, I wasn't enriched by it. I wasn't uh, entertained. For me, I'm so, I'm so sorry. No, no, it's okay. I mean, I, th- I thought it was kind of interesting, but I, but I I think that um, I think that I don't think uh, anything really changes in the book either. I like. Not much happens and nothing really changes. Uh, like, like there are a series of revelations in the book um, 
that uh, basically like like so the Empress of Salt and Fortune who just died is from the north uh, after so after the emperor uh, got her pregnant she had a boy and then they took the boy from her and sent her to this place on Lake Scarlet to basically live in exile and they they sterilized her so that she couldn't have another son so that nobody could uh, like there couldn't be any any kind of rival heirs to the the prince uh, and from there she like the revelation that comes about halfway in the book is that that the empress basically secretly plotted the overthrow of the emperor uh, and and there's there's this code that's discovered in star charts it's it's kind of beautiful it, it's it's a nice concept um, and then that she basically uh, using uh, fortune tellers passed orders along to the north uh, led to key led to key assassinations and violence and armies marching on the capital and to her ascension to the throne why she had to have a hand in that I'm not exactly sure I, I didn't really carry away why why the north didn't just invade the uh, the on empire on its own anyway it seems like they could have um, I don't know what secret intelligence she provided uh, I didn't walk away from the story with with that I mean I, I feel like it was a pleasant read it, it kind of read like um, a bit of mythology but like mythology there wasn't a lot of change it was like it was like the tale was being told that was being told was the important thing and then at the end I guess a uh, rabbit who's who lost the love of her life in the course of the Empress's ascension to the throne kind of has a happy ending and that was that was it and then the tale will be realized and the big revelation is of course that the the empress who's about to ascend who will be the empress of wheat and flood uh that she is actually rabbit's daughter right i mean i mean that's that's the revelation and maybe over the course of these different novellas this adds up to some kind of change for uh cleric chi who's the character who the story is being told to i i, I don't know but yeah i don't know i, I mean i it, this book kind of got a shrug to me from me I feel like I missed something in reading it for all the awards it got. No, I mean, I mean, I really did. You know, I mean, like I, I want you to know, I like, I like no, the I... premium Muhammad book so much that I immediately uh, want to read the novella of hers that won the uh, the Nebula Award, which which was from mm -hmm. a small press. I'm I'm going to get a copy of it. I'm going to read that on my own. Like I can't wait to read it. I like the annual migration of clouds a lot. You know, the Empress of Salt and Fortune. Like I I can see why some people like it. It just didn't. It just didn't hit me. It's not a book I won't recommend, but it's it's not a book that uh, will be something I'm gifting to people either. You know, so is, is that a win for your side? I don't know. <laughs> That's about the worst thing I've said about any book. I mean, like, oh, a win for me is finding a book that I really enjoyed. You know that. <laughs> so I've I've only lost today. I, I've lost. I, I I I mean, I also feel as if I have lost in a larger way that like the it's i i'm not a big believer in awards i i think that awards are are kind of silly as a whole but it, they can be good they can be used to uplift something that really deserves it i think this book this novella winning a bunch of awards is a kind of a sad state of affairs See, I, um I, because yeah it's just a it's a very it's a non-starter to me i want you to know i i don't think so because i think i think this book um i think i think it unfolds the story that it tells in a way that's very nice, um, like like I bet I bet it won because narratively, 
uh, the way the way the story of the Empress is told is done with great skill. Um, but but I guess part of me doesn't feel like that is. I, I guess I I wish that the the Hugo Award was more than that in on some level. Like that's it's it's fine. Whoever decides those awards, they can do whatever they want. You know, I well, I kind of like that it's undefined. Like, it, like like what gets that award, right? Like it's just it's it, it's a vote of everybody who can vote for the Hugo. I don't remember who can vote for the Hugo, um, but it you know. Like you get to decide. I mean, like, like I don't, I don't read a lot of novellas. I probably read more than most people. But, but maybe in, in the genre, like science fiction and fantasy genre, short fiction, the way this narrative unfolds is is incredibly skillful. And um, people could agree that it's so skillful it deserves it deserves the Hugo. And, and great, you know, I love it. Sure, sure. I just feel like I, I, like the worst Philip K. Dick book I have read, is just, <laughs> it's just streets ahead of this. Uh, it, it's just not even comparable. I don't think that's true. Like, like I've read some terrible Philip K. Dick books. <laughs> I have, I have to. Yeah, but I consider this to be really bad. Yeah, but well, even if you even uh, like I accept that you believe that it unfolds itself in a beautiful unique way I don't I disagree it's an epistolary novel that um well it's it that's not accurate it's not an epistolary novel it is a it is have it has a little oral tradition thing going on it's like the it's it's like the movie version of the princess bride I I admit that uh, I can't name another book off the top of my head I guess you could consider the odyssey but the odyssey is an epic poem but anyway yeah okay so the fact that it has a narrator who is telling the story to another person who also exists in the fiction that's something but um it's i i don't i don't like these i i consider the the fantasy world that this takes place in to be really undefined in a in a uninteresting way i i think that I, and i also think this is a problem with um the annual migration of clouds is that we're that that book gives us a little more information on what happened to the world but not enough that i feel like i am really situated there hmm. I, I i don't feel like i have enough to care about the events therein um you know th this is part of the reason why we have we have a lot of fantasy books that borrow conventions from you know if, if you've read one fantasy book then you've probably then you probably already know that this is a world that has elves and dwarves in it that is a that's kind of a cheat that the author is using but it's a good cheat it doesn't it, i'm not saying that all of these stories have to do that and you know i would like a i would i would like more sort of chinese inspired uh fantasy worlds that I, I don't want to say like this because I don't think this one goes far enough that I, by the end of this, I don't really know the distinctions between there's an Empress of Salt and Fortune and then there's a an Empress of Bread and Turpentine and there's an Empress of uh, <laughs> Giblets and Gravy. That's that's interesting, but we're never really told why that is, what significance it has. Well, I wonder. I, we, I, I, I wonder they, if that doesn't unfold over novellas. Like, like when you're writing a series of novellas, I, I don't even know what a series of novellas does exactly. I don't. But, I don't want it to. But I. But I need it now. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't need it five books in. I need it no, here. And I agree. Now, but... I, I, I agree. Or the promise has to be very clear, right? The promise has to be very, very clear. And, and it's not. It's not as if we don't have examples of fantasy that manage to 
paint a very wide picture with a few brushstrokes. Mm -hmm. I think that is true of Earthsea, that there isn't a ton of description of what Earthsea is, but what what description is there is so informative and evocative that you feel like this is a real world. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. I would love to. I would love how how much. I would love to see a novella. Like how much does so? Yeah, like how much description in this book was there of the landscape that the like literally the the places that these characters were and were traveling to? Like, was it hot? Was it cold? Was Mm. it icy? Was it mountainous? Was it uh, barren? Was it? I don't think there's a. I don't think there's a lot, but I think there's enough to give a sense of it. And I I um, but but I agree with you. There's probably not as much of a sense as uh, in the annual migration of clouds. But this book doesn't venture out very much further. Like it, it kind of comes in from further out, goes to this this retreat on this lake and then just kind of sits there and, and right. it's more about the possessions that are being found and uncovered. And because that, because that, I, I, I had a similar mystery, problem so. with them. I, I had a very similar problem when we read the goblin emperor that we were told that goblins and elves exist, but we were provided with no information about, well, are goblins and elves like the same thing, but right. they're, it's like the difference between white people and black people. Are they literally different species? They can interbreed. Are they like dogs? Like, are they, are they short? Are they tall? Like, are they are they literally like three feet tall? Like we picture a goblin to be. Are they, you know, human height? Are they basically humans? Do they? We never got any of those details. But I, I, I think we, I think we got enough of them. So I think we got fake. enough of them. The, the goblins are darker. No. No. Go- that we got, we did not get nearly enough information. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, and, well, that book was bad. And, well, I, I don't want to defend that book over much, but, 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 um, I'll tell you, I am drawn to the the book, other books that take place in that world somehow. Even though, even so, though that wasn't the most. And, and I think this me. is a, and this is a thing that um, I've made this criticism myself that you sometimes you pick up a fantasy book and you start reading it and you go, why are they telling me all about the economic subsystems of the the gorbel knights like why do we need to know <laughs> that the mint like clearly some some fantasy novels exist because someone has made a world in their head and they need to get it out to someone and they forgot to attach an actual story to it so it's just all lore like people who read the silmarillion it's you know it's tiresome i don't i don't want a legendarium <laughs> but this is the this is the total opposite end of the spectrum where you you made the skeleton of a story and then you didn't flesh it out. Then <laughs> this is the barest bones and they're, they're like bird bones. They, they, they shatter immediately and they blow in the way in the wind. Cause there's nothing to hold them down. There's not, on, there's not only is there no meat on these bones, there's no marrow inside them. See, I can't see even that's kind of hyper- that, that. that's hyperbole to me. I, like, like, and I feel like, I feel like bad reviews lend themselves to, to that right to just like there's no marrow on these bo- in these bones like that's hilarious <laughs> well look it only takes it, it'll only take you like three hours to read this book tell me i'm wrong right tell me at uh bookstabberpodcast at gmail.com uh make the uh <laughs> make the the headline of the email what is it called? it's not a headline what do you call it an email the subject, the subject. of the email willow is wrong she has always been wrong I I am not Starfire, and uh, <laughs> I am Spartacus. I don't good know. Good enough. Good enough. My what, what are we reading next time, Willow? Do you remember? It's something about uh, the final girl survivor group. I the think final the final girl support group by Grady Hendrix. Thank you. Yes, it, it's uh, right. Uh, I'm curious to read this. Uh, we'll see if I can get it from my library in time. I've got a seven week old. <laughs> I've started it already. It's going okay. 
So, okay. All right. Well, until uh, until next time, Willow. Keep stabbing. Please keep stabbing for for good, not for evil. And and uh, H- hug your children. Support your favorite Dolly. Eat some chocolate. Support your favorite Dolly Madison brand uh, ice cream flavor. I think you mean little little Debbie. Debbie. Sorry. Oh, I thought it was Dolly Madison. Who? who no, hold on. Who's Dolly Madison? Remember Dolly Madison. Isn't 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 Dolly Madison another kind of cake like Hostess? Um. Well, I, if it is, I've never heard of hold it. Hold on. Dolly Madison. Yeah, Dolly Madison is, a, is a, they make zingers. You never had a zinger? Is that do they also do they, is that the same as like a devil dog? I don't know if it's the same as a devil dog. Everything when I google Dolly Madison, what I get is former first lady of the United States. No, no, look, look up Dolly Madison uh cakes or zingers. Okay. They're owned by Hostess. They were owned by Hostess. Oh, oh no, are they Oh, they are owned by Hostess. Never mind. Okay. What 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 is what what what, what what, what is the kind of ice cream you have? What is that one? Well, I haven't bought any of it yet, but I, I'm i on a quest to go. Th- so <laughs> I discovered I discovered through some friends of mine that uh, at Walmart, there you can buy Little Debbie brands of ice cream. That's like, so you can get a zebra cake ice cream. You can get a Star Crunch ice cream. Um, I can't name Honestly. that many. O- oatmeal pie, I think, is one of them. I don't know if I've ever had, I don't uh, know if I've ever had a little Debbie cake. Now, now that I look at it, you probably have because there's a bunch of them. There's so many. I've seen, them. I've seen the kid's face. I've seen the kid's face before, but I no, I've never had one of these. All I want is the Star Crunch one. That's all I'm <laughs> after. I just I like Star Crunch a lot. It's probably not good ice cream. I know that, but don't don't steal my joy from me. I get so little no, no, joy I, I from anything. I'm not trying to take your universe. joy at all. I'm just laughing because there's there's little Debbie Christmas cakes. They're Christmas tree cakes. They look like Christmas trees. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that seems crazy to me. I, I don't know that i can buy these yeah, I mean, wow well do, do you have a walmart i'm excited they're 100 calorie little debbie cakes too i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to go see if i can find some of these oh you're just talking about us i'm sure you can get a just a standard little debbie product I, the ice cream might be hard to find yeah yeah well I'm gonna, i might i might look into this Zebra cakes. This I is very exciting. I'm probably going to cut this whole part. I don't know. <laughs> Your call. All right, Willow. Take care. Talk to you later. <laughs>